0: Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Steven, and I'm here with a very special guest, Peter Vanacore. Peter, how the heck are you?
1: Doing real well, Stephen. How are you doing?
0: Well, I'm good, other than the fact that you said you went on a run this morning and I did not. Okay. So I'm feeling a little shame, but uh, that's okay. I have a two-month-old baby. Okay, Peter, you can't expect that much of me. I,
1: I agree. I, you know, that's an excuse for a lot of things. Just the fact I'm in, that you're awake in the morning is good. So
0: I'm in survival mode. I'm in Queso mode. I'm not, I'm not thinking about my physical health right now. Um, Peter, I'm so excited to have you on the call, uh, for our listeners who don't know anything about you, Peter serves as the executive director at the Christian Association of Youth Mentoring. Uh, he's been in the mentoring field since the early eighties, working with juvenile offenders and children in the child protective service system in New York. He moved to Massachusetts in 97, uh, where he helped an organization, Straight Ahead Ministries, and he helped them develop a national training program. He has since been with CAYM since its founding in 2005, and now serves as the executive director. I've known Peter through our monthly think tank that we've participated in uh, for Christian youth mentoring leaders. And so if you'd like more information about how to get involved in that, if you're a mentoring organization leader, reach out to us, let us know. Well, I'm excited to interview Peter today. We have a bunch of questions talking about volunteers, men and women in the church, what keeps Christians from mentoring. We're going to talk about solutions for racial reconciliation and how to keep mentors active and engaged. But before we jump into all those questions, I just want you to get to know Peter a little more. So Peter, who is Peter Vanacore?
1: Oh boy. Um, Well, right now I am an official senior citizen. So whoa! Uh, yes, I am. Um, uh, and so, uh, I've been uh, married for 40 years. Uh, I have uh, three wonderful kids, a grandson. Um, and as you said, I've, I've, I've been in ministry with, uh, youth, uh, since I graduated college and, uh, I've been in the mentoring field since 81. Um, and I've spent a lot of my time in, uh, training and developing materials and programs has been a, a lot of my concentration, uh, especially in the last 15 years with the Christian Association of Youth Mentor. Yeah,
0: that's great. Now, as a senior citizen, what's what's the primary perk that comes with that, um, that, that you're experiencing? Is it the Luann Platter at Luby's or is it? Is it something else?
1: Well, right now, uh, during the coronavirus, it's that uh, they open the stores an hour early for senior citizens. You don't have to wait online. So that's the big thing.
0: That's awesome. I love it. And you said you've been married for 40 years. And so and so. tell tell us about your family. Just what what does that look like right now? Where are you guys at? And anything about your family that will help our listeners?
1: You know, I, um, my wife is is a wonderful woman who is just... Been uh, you know a gift of God to me, and I, I certainly would not be who I am today without her. Uh, and she's been a great mother, uh, wife. She has actually is going to retire uh, in two weeks, not actually of her own will, uh, kind of kind of pushed into this uh, or offered offered early retirement. I guess an offer you can't refuse type thing. But uh, she's just uh, been a great employee and everything in her life. Uh, and I have three kids who are really hard-working, uh, dedicated, good people all the way around. Uh, I, I really, they put me to shame in their ability to really kind of uh, excel in school um, and uh, and afterwards in, in their careers, so.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to, to talk more about Christian Association of Youth Mentoring. And so I, I wonder if you could share the mission of your organization. Yeah,
1: our mission is we uh, train and support churches and ministries in developing uh, safe, effective, and sustainable mentoring programs. And those are our three big words and everything. It's got to be safe, effective, and sustainable. It's safe when you follow best practices. It's effective. When you do those best practices with a focus in your ministry, when you have a, a strategy, you have values, uh, you have a plan to move forward uh, in that, in, in, a, uh, in a very uh, uh, well, it's a strategic way, in a strategic manner. And then it's sustainable, is, is that you have a board that's managing it, whether that's your church board or uh, your nonprofit board, and you have the funding to go along with that. And so I think what, what a bigger thing is our, is our vision. It's, it's our vision is to strengthen communities by connecting generations. And or another way to put that is, is that we're looking to strengthen churches by helping them more deeply connect to their communities. So that, that's who we
0: are. I love it. I love it, Peter. Safe, effective, sustainable. And so you you help churches and nonprofits implement those strategies into their organizations. And I, I just love that vision to strengthen communities by connecting generations. I mean, that's that's a that's a powerful vision. Why, Peter, have you spent your life equipping churches and communities to mentor kids? Why why has that been a focus of your life?
1: I think the first thing is that I needed a mentor when I was growing up, although I had two. Loving parents, I managed to screw my life up. By the time I was twenty-one, if I did not become a Christian, I probably would not have be alive. Now, I would have done myself in one way or another. And I and I really I, I was mentored by a guy in college, a a, 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 a campus ministry guy named Kirk Johnson. And I don't know why he was from Iowa, a farm in Iowa. I uh, I was from New York, from Long Island. I went to high school in Brooklyn, back when Brooklyn was Brooklyn and not a, a hipster paradise. Uh, and, and so it was, you know, And I, but somehow God connected us. And it just showed me a, a lot of different things. And so I needed that, uh, you know, that to, to move my life along. But I think when I, when I came back to New York after college, I asked my pastor to mentor me. And he started off, he said, you really need to study the scripture. And he started me in actually the Old Testament in the prophets. And it struck me, uh, well, the one thing was the the need for holiness. And the other was how easy it was to fall away from God. But I think the thing that really motivated me was I saw God's heart for the poor, for the orphan, for the widow. And I, I read Isaiah 58 and uh, it's really changed my life. It was probably the most motivating passage for me in scripture. And it's been that way for 40 something years. And what it did for me, uh, it just said that you don't concentrate on just doing religious things. And there's a phrase in there that to spend yourself on behalf of the needy. And I thought, boy, we all have spending plans, budgets, but what does it mean to spend yourself? And what does wow. God want us to do? To spend ourselves on behalf of the needy, to care for the alien and the alienated. And then it talks about that we become repairer of broken walls or restorer of streets with dwellings. And that two things. When I saw the broken walls, I think of families and how families are in, in desperate shape in a lot of communities. Uh, and there are, in every community, this families are desperate. And then the restorer of streets with dwellings, and that is the strengthening of communities as we come in.
0: I love that. And I, I feel like I just interviewed someone that they'd named their organization after Isaiah 58, because that was just a, a foundational passage for what they felt like the Lord was calling yeah. them to. And, and yeah, I mean, it's that's a huge passage. So I highly recommend all of our listeners to to check out that passage. If it's if it's been the impetus for two people that I've interviewed to start their organizations, I, I feel like we should probably read it. So, <laughs> and, and and that's the one that's like, this is not the fast that I choose. Um, and 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 God, God asks people not to just fast from food and do these religious acts, but actually, like what you just said, spend their lives on the needy. I, I love that. It's so good. Well, Peter, I mean, you've had a wealth of experience mentoring kids from that faith perspective of just building relationships with kids from hard places. And so I'd love if you could share some testimonies from that experience. Could you share any stories that would inspire people to start mentoring as you've responded to that word to spin yourself on behalf of the needy?
1: Yeah, I went to a wedding. My wife and I went to a wedding probably uh, now 10 years ago, a little more than that. It was a wedding of of a kid that was in our mentoring program. The mother of this this guy, who was, was in a lot of trouble, he was 12 years old, and this is 17 years later. She saw me, and she came up, and she hugged me, gave me this big hug, and said, this all started when you brought Andrew into his life 17 years ago. She remembered the whole thing, and she said that that changed not just her son. But it changed her life too. It it was uh it was a beautiful day that she married this wonderful Christian girl. They now have a, a family, they're in a church, she's a leader, and he's uh, successful in his work when he was really headed for deep trouble back then. You know, uh the day I went to to interview him in his home, he was he wasn't there because he was in court. <laughs> and so at twelve years old. And so But what I I saw there was was a lot because my wife said, you know, why don't you just go to the wedding? You know him, and, and I don't really know him all that well. And she goes, I just don't want to be around people we don't, you know, for a whole day. I don't know anybody. And when we got there, we realized we knew probably half the people at the wedding. And one of the keys in mentoring is that the mentor can help the youth build social capital and that is the the people around you that help you advance in life. And so his mentor took him to church, he became part of the church, and then that connected him to a wealth of people. So I had left the community quite a bit before that, so I didn't realize all the connections he had, but he had this, uh, we knew literally half the people at, at, at at the wedding, all because this mentor came into his life and introduced him to people One woman came up to me and said, oh yeah, he's like a son to me right now. To me, that was the most beautiful thing. It was the Christian community surrounding this one kid because one mentor came into his life. And not only that, his mom became a Christian, his grandmother became a Christian, they were all part of a church. And that church was strengthened through that, that community was strengthened through that. Um, It was, uh, uh, that was great. Uh, A great story. Uh, I tell you, on, on another one, inspiring one is to go back to my wife, and she has been mentoring the same girl for eight years, and she just graduated college, cum laude. Um, and my my wife is, you know, she there's no graduation ceremonies, but my my wife's uh, friend works at the college and actually employed her at the college, what? Well, and so that's that social capital connection, but the, this this woman called up. But uh, my wife Diane said, "Look, you know your girl. She she just graduated cum laude." So my wife calls her from the phone. She goes, "You graduated cum laude," and she goes, "What's cum laude?" She had no idea. <laughs> and so, you know, what does that mean? And 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 it's and so when this girl when they met before she was in eighth grade, or well, like at the end of eighth grade actually, and you know she her, her, her mom had abandoned the family. Her father was about to be deported. And her family, really, uh, the extended family, you know, they they just they saw her more as a worker for their restaurant that they had, and they didn't want her to go to college. My wife took her on the college tours. My wife is the one who went through all the, the uh, the, the the advisor appointments at the high school, and now you 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 just see what's happened because of that. This girl has been able to kind of blossom into someone who is confident and can move forward in life. But, but I will tell you this that that girl after eight years of mentoring and she is part of our family really right now is she has not come to the Lord you know she has not made a, a profession of faith we are still working on that and mentoring doesn't it doesn't guarantee anything on any level that the kid is going to going to do well um, I've had kids who did not do well that I, that I've mentored I, along with kids who've done great but it still is is what God has called us to do
0: That's so good, Peter. Um, I'm kind of picking up on just in the two stories that you just shared that uh, I think is profound is that there's this ecosystem that's created from a mentoring relationship. And so there's these people at the wedding that they're connected to who now feel connected to these relationships just because of this mentor relationship. Yes. And there's also family dynamics that are, are probably more delicate, but the family is connected in some way to the mentor relationship. And I I think just in in your your vision of strengthening and connecting communities, like mentor relationships become this connecting place, not only for the mentor relationship, but for the community around them.
1: That is an essential factor in, me- in mentoring. I keep bringing this up with that social capital that kids can gain those other relationships that help them move forward in life and actually can help the whole family move forward. That is, is what a mentor can bring in just by becoming a friend to, to, to a kid.
0: Yeah, Peter, mentor relationships don't happen unless a mentor believes that they can mentor. And that's why we named our podcast, You Can Mentor. And so I want to ask you, um, once we envision um, someone to believe that they can mentor, how do you, how do you keep them active and engaged um, once they start a mentor relationship?
1: Well, it, it all comes down back down to the best practices. What I talked about in the beginning—that safe and effective part of it—it um, it starts with really uh, thorough screening. Uh, but a screening—it's not—it's not. You're not trying to find out all the problems in someone. You're trying to find out why this person could be a really good mentor. But it's starting at that. It's continuing with training that is targeted and thorough and motivating everything has to be motivating. And then once they're matched, it is about supervision, what we call coaching. And that is really the most important factor in uh, in keeping a relationship moving forward so that it is effective, that it is safe. When we think of safety in mentoring, everyone thinks of, oh, it's the pedophile, right? It's the guy who's going to come in and really hurt that kid some way, physically, sexually, and maybe emotionally. But what comes through is the biggest risk in mentoring is when an adult says to a kid who is a kid who's usually been uh, let down by adults often in in his or her life. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they commit to this relationship. The kid gets excited. I have this. They learn maybe to trust. And then the mentor drops out. That is, unfortunately, uh, it's another wound in an already fragile soul. And so the biggest risk in mentoring is a mentor dropping out. It's better that you don't uh, run your program if you have a high rate of dropouts. And so coaches come in, and what they do the first of all, is they provide encouragement. And that is the number one need for mentors. You keep them encouraged, because mentors don't usually see what's happening in the kid's life and the coach is calling not just the mentor but calling the the child and calling the 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 parent and they find out what's going on and so i've had mentors many times just shocked to hear what the kid says about the mentor because the kid doesn't tell the mentor. You know, and, and they're not they're not sitting there going, oh boy, that was great. No, but they go home and it, it's different. And uh, the mother can explain things, but it also can point out when maybe there's problems going because there's, there's often there's problems that need to be corrected. And so the mentor, the coach, can help the mentor guide them through that by just talking to the parents. But all of that is encouraging for, for the mentor. Um, but along with that, it's they need ideas. They need what can I do? Where can I go? how can I help this kid along? And the programs need to really find out what is free in their community. And if there isn't enough that's free, then you've got to talk businesses into making it free for people. Um, And so it's, you know, I've seen um, health clubs, you know, WISE give free memberships when a mentor and kid come together to work out at the gym. Museums opening up, concerts doing things for, for Things uh, we've had sportsmen's clubs train kids on f- and take mentors on fishing uh, and hunting. There's a lot of different things that, that can be done. Uh, it's interesting, though. But uh, I had a program we worked with in upstate New York. They found out that when they when the mentors were told that this uh, this sporting goods company was going to provide all these different activities, it was. As motivating for the mentor as it was for the kid. The fishing, the, the, the uh, hunting, they, they were really as excited because a lot of them didn't know how to do it themselves. So they were learning how to, to, to fish alongside the and how to fly fish. These kids. So to me that was just great. You got you to give them something to do together. But I think the last thing is also accountability. And we all need something, someone to hold us accountable. Now, that may be something that the relationship isn't going really well, or maybe the mentor's struggling at home or at work and life in general. And so they just need the, the coach to kind of help them along, maybe guide them, lead them to someone else. The coach doesn't become a therapist, but maybe they can guide them into the right right person or, or prospect or pastor that can help them along. But That's how so, you keep mentors relationships
0: going well, that's a lot of stuff, but <laughs> i I think that thinking about a mentor relationship, if we want to see not just fruitfulness, but we want to be faithful to what God's called us to, I think all of those things are very important. I wonder if you would you would um if you've seen one of those that mentor mentor organizations do well or do less effectively, I don't know if you have any thoughts on. Which, which of those areas that mentoring organizations need help most?
1: You know, um, I want to take it a step back. Where the problems come in often is they really haven't thought through the design of their program to begin with. And, and that is, uh, what is their focus? Uh, what are the parameters of their mentoring? How are they going to recruit? Where are they going to recruit? It, it's really, it's building that foundation from the start. It's all in the design and then the strategic plan. Uh, a, a lot of programs I talk to have never gone out into the community and asked kids, families, school administrators, what are the strengths and what are the needs in their community? And, and so you start there and then you work your way and build your program around the, those factors. And But when it comes down, when you got all that down, the toughest thing, back to your original question, is coaching. Coaching is long-term and it's, it's, it's uh, steady work. You need someone who's really committed to making those contacts, but we've seen uh, churches where volunteers do this as effectively as, as full-time staff. And often it's because they see these people on Sunday morning and they can talk about it. You know, it's a regular contact with, with the mentors. There's encouragement. And then the other factor is when that happens the church feels ownership, so the church itself is encouraging these people to continue in in, in the path God's given them with becoming a mentor.
0: I mean, and you kind of just hit that that community is is integral for the health of a mentoring organization, and so that's why the church is kind of probably set up to be more effective because it's all about relationships and it's all about the community and and so. Mentoring in the church, like, seem like the perfect match.
1: You are right on target as usual, Stephen. So,
0: <laughs> in my experience, I don't know many churches that are doing that, are are leading a, uh, a mentoring organization or leading mentoring kids in the community. Uh, it's mostly mentoring the kids that are in our youth group or um, kids that are already in current families. And so, how do you encourage a church to start? moving toward a culture of mentoring in the community?
1: Yeah. Well, that, that is a tough question. Um, (laughs) sorry. No, I know it's, 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 it's probably, um, it starts off uh, is that churches now, uh, have to move past the fact that Sunday morning is not what church is about. Now we come together on Sunday morning, but it's just to, uh, get us to focus on God and prepare us uh, to follow God's calling throughout the week. Um, and so too often, churches and, and pastors, its they measure the success by the B's and B's. And that is B's and B's are butts and bucks. It's how many people are in the pew and how much money is coming in. And now every church needs butts and bucks, right? So that, that's that, that, there's the reality to that. But if it comes down to what I'm, I'm just trying to attract people in to get them in there to sit down and be there and give their money. That's not church. Mm. That that's you know that's that's a club. <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to it, I, I hate to be that blunt about it but i guess
0: it's not a very good club
1: <laughs> yeah i guess i guess because so, you're losing money right <laughs> yeah, but it's but it, people feel good about that because they come to church it's it's you know they they have these great worship they join in and that's that's wonderful we want that that's what we all want but what happens when they leave that and take that church out into the community that's what's essential and mentoring enables a church to go and do that and so, but you have to get past that mindset. And so I find younger pastors right now are, are, are uh, motivating older people like me towards this because they come in and they see things as more of a community and they, they want to impact their community uh, as much as, as, as for, for the Lord as for, as, as just to build that congregation, which they want to do too, is build their congregation. Um, mm. You know, I, I don't know how much time we got here, but I one of the things that 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 hit me uh, was years ago. I was in a church and uh, I was at a meeting, a leadership meeting, and and the, the and a couple people proclaimed that they wanted to be the to the upper middle class, and I was just appalled, and I, I was I, I I protested, and but. It, and I, and then I, I got I actually got depressed afterwards. I just I just thought what what's going on here. And I, I spent the next six months. All I did was read the parable of the sheep and the goats uh, from Matthew twenty five, and I, and I thought to myself, this is a heaven and hell passage. You know, you do this, you go to heaven. You don't do it, you go to hell. I mean, that's about it. But we, we never use that for. Uh, you never see that in an evangelistic sermon, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> and and it because it, it doesn't fit our you know what's true our theology of it we're saved by by faith alone but, uh, by grace through faith. And it's um, but what it does show is that those really truly have faith. It comes through in how we live and how we and, and how we treat others. And Matthew twenty five just speaks to that. Uh, You don't have to take it word for word, literally, that you have to go into prison or or do that. But it's how you are impacting those around you who need the the love, the care, uh, the power of God in their lives. One thing we have to pray is for our churches to move out of that mindset and move out of that bees and bees mindset and see what they can do to impact their community. Now, I didn't give you a practical answer yet to your question, but here it is. In every church, there are people who are highly motivated to reach out into the community and impact those around them. And you need to find the champion or champions in a church and then work with them to bring about uh, your the church the church board and pastors towards this vision. Now, I would have say that I have been in, in quite a few churches where the pastor was the champion, you know where they caught the vision or one of the pastors was the champion and moved moved it along. Uh, I just got a a call about a month ago from a church in uh, probably the wealthiest town in in the United States, okay may or certainly one of them it goes in and out, and uh, this church they get it they they want they want to bring, bring mentoring in. Uh, because oh, they're, they're they're this rich enclave. They have a lot of needs outside of that enclave, but also inside that enclave. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you don't you're not screwing things up. And so they are. Um, I just it was just great to see to be on a phone with a pastor who, although they got the Bs and Bs, they're they're looking to say how are we going to, to 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 impact our community? How are we going to get people out of the pew? And into the lives of 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 kids and families. So, um, here are a couple other thoughts too, though. Uh, transformation occurs through relationships. What we want is discipleship, and mentoring. You know, a lot of my work has been with uh, kids who are in trouble, families who are in trouble. It's needed right in the church, and so when we talk to churches. And or we a lot of times we work with a nonprofit to help them work through churches change kind of the paradigm so that you're really having true partnerships with churches what, what we see is that they have kids in the church that need mentors too that are uh, just as needy uh, inside mm-hmm. as the kids uh, that, that that we focus on often and if they're made Maybe they're not in the church, but maybe their mom goes to church and the mom is worried. The grandmother goes to church and worried about the grandchildren. Uh, you see this all over. And so that is one of the things that we, that we look at and say, how can we reach kids, not only in the community, but kids in the church that really need that kind of help? We call that in-church mentoring, we call it God-friending, because it's sometimes Mentoring scares parents off or grandparents off, (laughs) but say, oh, they just kind of have a God friend. It's someone who's going to come alongside them. What mentoring does in this, in that way, it helps kids stay in church. You know, uh, Kara Powell, who uh, does research on this at Fuller University, uh, you know, she says that what keeps kids in church is intergenerational relationships and intergenerational ministry. Kids who want to stay connected to the Lord have connections beyond their parents um, and beyond leaders uh, of youth group and have a broad connection across generations in,
0: into their church. Whoa, that's huge. <laughs> connections beyond their parents and youth leaders.
1: Yeah. And there's a danger when a kid's commitment to church is through youth group only, because once that youth group is gone, they don't have any reason to be What's there.
0: what's your how are you going to stick? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, And too often we've we've created. I have to, in, 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 you're in Dallas, and I once went to a meeting, a church, big mega church, asked me to come and meet with the Hispanic congregation in that church, which was trying to uh, to move forward. And I remember driving to this church and on 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 the interstate there. And on the left side was the youth building, which was an old uh, old uh, movie theater. On the right side was this mega church down about a half mile away. And I remember asking the Hispanic leaders. Now, I went into the meet with the leadership. Let me tell you this the leadership in this, there were about 30 of them, and they ranged in age from 15 to 85. Okay. And I said, Do your kids go over to that youth? Uh, building is that where they do their youth? And they looked at me aghast and said, "We would never send our kids over there. We want our kids right with us." And you can see in how they took their leadership. They want they were developing leaders from teenagers on. And and to me, that we just, there's a danger in the the way we've been doing youth ministry. Often, and I think a lot of people recognize it now that we need to connect kids. Intergenerationally to help them grow and stay in their faith long term.
0: That's so good, Peter. My church has been working through that because our youth, our our children's pastor, she mentioned, I think, a similar statistic of kids are much more likely to stay engaged in the life of the church um, after once they become adults if they're connected to the the adult service. But if you put them in this other room and you only allow them to interact with people their own age, once, they, once, once the youth group ends, they have no connection to the rest of the community. So I just think, I think that's huge, and I think that should tell us something about our mentor relationships and how really mentoring is connecting kids to another generation in a, in a way that is contrary or countercultural to the way that usually we do church.
1: So Yeah, recently, uh, uh, it was a couple years ago now, I was asked to do a, lead a missions trip and and help with this men's retreat connected to this missions trip. And I said, uh, yeah, well, I will do that as long as all the teenage boys are allowed to come. And that just put a wrench in things for people. I mean, (laughs) I'm like... You know, I guess because I'm just what I've been doing, but it just that was just natural to me. I mean, of course you're gonna do this. Uh, but you know, that's the kind of thing that, that we need we need to to do. And you know, they saw that as you bring kids, it's it's work. It's not this fun with a bunch of guys. It's you got this work of these kids where I saw it as, boy, this is this is an investment uh for, for us, for all of us. And it's a joy when 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 you can engage kids like that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, I think that connects to that same level of of what you're saying that we start to view Sunday morning as church, when in reality it's a it's a moment of preparation, but it's also a moment of connecting our kids to the next generation or yeah. other generations. And so you could actually view it as your strategy to ke- connect your kids to other relationships. Yes, and you could you could view church in a completely different light as a parent. If you're like I'm connecting my kids to other parents and other adults and I'm setting them them up to be the next leaders of the church if they stay connected um I have a follow-up question for you Peter okay something that i I hear a lot are churches they're either creating programs for every single thing like so you have an anti-sex trafficking program you have a basket weaving program you have a baking muffins program you have a mentoring program you have I mean, just all these different things related to whatever your, your spiritual gift is. So if you have the gift of hospitality, I'm going to go beg muffins. If you have the gift of mercy, I'm going to go mentor. So you have those kind of churches. Then you have other churches that are like, we don't want any programs. We just want you to get involved in the community and go join the homeless ministry, join the mentoring organization, but we're not going to lead it. Like We just want you to, to do it in the community. I want to hear your thoughts on on both of those things. Is mentoring just another program for a church to start?
1: Mentoring is God's natural design for human development. Prior to uh, industrialization, 150 years ago, mentoring was just a natural course of life. You, if you More likely than, than not, you grew up in an extended family where you had uh, grandparents, uncles, aunts, uh, who mentored you in natural settings. When you went to um, look for for work in your life, you either studied uh, or you learned to farm under your dad or your uncle or your grandparents. You you learned, uh, you apprenticed under a blacksmith or a carpenter, but it was always about mentoring. This was this mentoring process that comes through a natural way. But now our, our, our societies are... Uh, Fragmented and strained, Um, and so those natural connections don't happen very easily. And so, in the church, it's we've we we don't we don't have those same connections that we once had naturally. And so, what we have to do is, in some way, make mentoring not just a program here on the side, but part of the whole church process. So we actually trained programs where they're, they mentor, they're mentoring 20 somethings they have uh, meant. And, uh, and we do, we, one thing that we do is have this tri-generational mentoring where an older adult like me mentors a 25 year old and uh, that 25 year olds mentoring the 14 year old because it has to all be connected in one way or another. We have to see all our relationships that are, are are in that church as some sort of mentoring process. Uh, but again, even in that Stephen, you need to apply best practices. You need to be doing those the you know how to learn how to recruit, screen, train, supervise and evaluate in order for it to be safe, effective and eventually sustainable with, within that system.
0: Yeah. I have two other follow-up questions to this question and then we'll <laughs> move on one one is just as a as a gray haired man and there if there are churches listening, what would you like them to hear about opportunities that you're looking for or your generation is looking for to serve other than just being greeters or being elders which i I don't know if you find that term offensive to be an elder, but i'm I'm just kidding but i I've heard from church leaders that are they're trying to figure out how do I find a place for are the older generation to serve? What what would you encourage them to do?
1: That is a great question. Uh, we've worked with a, a researcher out of Washington State named Ken Moy, um, and he's done a lot of studying of the boomers and millennials and, and under. And what he found out is that this was a few years ago, probably about five years ago now, is that boomers were returning to church. They abandoned church. And what they got when they got back to church, what they found out was, well, maybe the music's different, but church is still the same. There was nothing for them there, you know? And so they, and so they were wondering, why am, why am I going back? And what they found out is that boomers really want to mentor younger generations. And that, you know, when I, I use that term mentoring loosely, it could be, I want to teach this young guy how to fix a car. Or how to program a computer? What What does it matter? Um, and so that that's a motivating factor. The other factor is that the millennials and younger they, uh, but more of the millennials are they want to be mentored by boomers. And in, and the younger generation they are open to boomers. Uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 a kind of a surprising thing. They're open to being helped by someone who is older. In fact, they see themselves as valued when an older person invests in them. And just by that commitment, it says that I have some worth beyond what I can see in myself.
0: Wow, can you can you say that again? You you said that kids not only enjoy having older people invest in them, but they actually derive more value from it.
1: They they try, they see more value in themselves when older people say I see value in you. That's so much value that I would like to invest my time and resources
0: into you. That's powerful. Okay, the last follow-up question is the language that churches use as they implement a mentoring kids in the community. Some of the language that I've heard is like, "We want to invest in the poor," or we. They use some label that's like, I guess, that elicits we're helping the impoverished when they talk about these these kind of things and so what what would you be your recommendation for a a church who's trying to figure out how do we how do we message this in in a way that's honoring yeah
1: well that's a tough one and that's really the the curse of my generation i hate to say this here first thing is don't come up with a message until you talk to and understand your community I, don't don't even think about a message here is what you what you really need to start off with is a calling from god what is the bible calling us to do where what does god say that we need to do and look at and, and then and then look at your community and say well how can we practice that in the community and you learn to do that by saying well what does the community say what are they saying they need at this point you know each community has strengths and challenges And you have to understand those strengths as well as the challenges and concentrate on the strengths and building them up and using those strengths to overcome the challenges. So, so my answer is, listen, I don't think there's any one word that's going to do it. I don't think there's any one concept that's going to do it. It, It's really about understanding and listening to your community. You know, when, when I got into working with youth, they were called troubled youth. Okay. And, and, and then to, uh, we, we, went to at risk youth. Uh, and so, and now at risk youth, so now it's vulnerable youth. That's what we use most of the time. Vulnerable. Um, prior to that, uh, you know, they were just, you know, back a hundred years ago, they were bad kids. <laughs> you know, that was it. And, and so we, we took a move and they were just they were problem kids then after that. And so we, we kind of use these labels and move it along. What we need to do is just look at them as people. God is calling us not to be the come in and save them from whatever. It's really to really invest with them in their community and to be with them, listen to where their heart is at. And don't assume that we know the answer to anything. Uh, listen and we shall find out. Oh, and ultimately, we know that it's in Christ that we have our answer, that Christ is going to can change our lives and change our communities. But how do we get that out to people who maybe are been hurt by church or really don't even know what church is about.
0: I wonder if you could share an example of what that looks like for a church to identify a strength within their community and then use that to address the weakness. Um, you kind of mentioned that. I don't know if you have an example.
1: Uh, there's a, uh, one is uh, a church in Pratt, Kansas. Now, that's a, a farming community, uh, you know, west of, of Wichita. It's, I've been there a couple of times.
0: West of everything.
1: For a New Yorker, <laughs> you're nowhere. I mean, you're just like, you're just like, and, and I love these people. And they decided that their strength was they were a church with 60 people uh, who were old. No kids, That but their strength was they had a lot of old people. Uh, they saw, uh, they, then they had some tragedies happen, murders and arsons for related to the drug trade right next to the church. And they, they, were, they thought mentoring was the answer. And, and now it's like seven years later, uh, they, uh, they have a youth group with 60 kids. Why? Because uh, 20 of those 60 adults started mentoring. And then they brought people in from other churches, so we kind of—we're talking about strengthening communities. Other churches said, well, "We got to do this too." But those kids, now thirty kids, are getting mentors now—they bring their friends to church, and so they built this this, this 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 youth group, and they're strengthening those kids, they're strengthening families, strengthening communities by doing it. What they saw their strength was was people my age and older who could invest in the lives of kids. And I've met these people, they're not all, I should say, my age, some of them are younger, but they're they're definitely, it's, you know, if you're, if you're 45, you're young in that, in that congregation. Um, You were at that point. Then um, I I worked with a, with church on the uh, lower east side of Manhattan. Uh, 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 It's a Latino church. So it's Latinas and Latinos. Uh, at, for the most part, in a community that's—it's uh, a changing community—but there's a lot of housing projects, a lot of Orthodox Jews in, in there. What what they saw, their strength was in in being able uh, for their community is that people really wanted to do something. They, they saw this strength and that people really cared about each other. This is New York; it's a tough Lower East Side was a, known as a tough area. And and, but this is this they they saw that they that people really wanted to reach out, and so when they ran things at the church, people in the community would come in and 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 do it, we would would get involved. People were involved in church because they they had this strong community mindset, so they figured they were building upon that. And they built uh, a, a multi generational ministry with mentoring being the foundation, but it's grown into feeding and other things. Uh, all based on the fact that they could take people who were in the pews um, and mobilize them not just to be mentors but to organize a mentoring ministry. So they had uh, the director told me they had over a hundred mentors at one point uh, with all mostly run, there was one paid person and volunteer coaches supervising it. and uh, and so and it's grown and expanded since then.
0: Peter, we've kind of discussed, I mean, just in a few of my follow-up questions, these labels and I think something people might, I, I've received a lot of text messages from this last week from people saying, hey, I, rather than being a social commentator on the things that are happening in America right now, I'd like to mentor a kid. Wow. And I, I think that that's a, that's a powerful text message, but underneath it, I think there's an assumption being made that all the kids in our organization are black or, um, though I, I appreciate kind of the thought and the, the vision with the mentor, the motivation, I also, part of me is like questioning, well, is there something I need to address here? And so I, I'd love to talk about that text message, your thoughts while also I do think mentoring plays a significant role in bridging different communities together. So whether it is the the socioeconomic demographics to racial demographics, there is something about mentoring that bridges people together. And so I wonder if you could speak to mentoring as a solution for racial reconciliation.
1: Uh, Calling it a a solution, I I would say it could be part of the solution. Uh, It's just a very difficult subject. And it's something I, i've been working cross-culturally for four decades and I'm still learning I still make stupid ignorant mistakes you know I, sometimes it's it's uh, you know I, I I feel somewhat ashamed by my you know what what still I haven't learned yet uh, after all this but it's it's a growth process and and what I find that the people who are most, understanding and forgiving of my ignorance are are people of color (laughs) you know they understand that I don't know you know and but it's let me start with that text message though I see positives in the text message I understand what you're saying and you know there are more kids who are Caucasian white kids that need mentors than there are kids of color in the United States I I I work in uh uh, in, in in, in uh, communities, in, in uh, impoverished areas of Appalachia, it's mostly, I mean, it's 98% white, and they there are more need for mentors than you could ever imagine on every level. Uh, but that goes, and um, I, I live in, a, in in one of the best school districts in the country, right? Uh, I went with my church to the school district to ask them, uh, would you have a need for mentors? Our church is looking at this and I was expecting all these things like, okay, church and state. I, I was going—I had the, all the answers pat right there. I was, I was, I was fired up, ready to answer. And, and they look at me and they said this, when can you start? Mm. Okay, that's it. When can you start? Every community needs it. But how does racial reconciliation happen for mentoring? I, I think there's a couple ways we need to look at this. I think we need to ask, again, uh, other churches what they think uh, along the way. I I don't want to assume anything on on anyone's level. But what I see was when churches work together, truly work together in a partnership on things, that changes perspectives. And so if you – what we try to do, Stephen, is work – help a nonprofit – build teams and churches or multi-church teams to, to help run the mentoring program. So we've seen churches, churches that can screen and 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 coach mentors, they can recruit. They recruit more effectively than outsiders do often. Uh, but they, need, they need help and structure with a nonprofit. That uh, but when you bring multiple churches together around that, that there, there's a bonding that happens. I had these churches in Brooklyn work together and what it was it, it was, it was cross-cultural, cross-racial, but they saw a bond that, that could happen in, in that. And I think it, it bridged gaps. Um, and one of the things is that you, everybody learns from it. You know, no matter who you are, where you're at, you're all, you're all gonna learn it. And you're all gonna make mistakes. Uh, and it's realizing that along the way. But that through that process, uh, you're bringing about at least a, a movement towards reconciliation. In and, any process of reconciliation, you have to have two factors. One, you have to have need people who realize that reconciliation needs to take place. And unfortunately, that isn't always the case. Um, you need people who want to be reconciled, too, but sometimes that just takes people who see that they need they need to ask uh, to, to work towards reconciliation um and so i, I think there's a, there's a lot of issues with that but what can happen when churches work together can be powerful but i think even deeper than that you know we talk about uh although it's it's great when you've got mentors of the same culture working together uh, with it with a kid right so they come that's very helpful and a lot of kids just need that but often cross-cultural matches, uh, cross-racial matches are are helpful too in certain kids in certain places. And I've done matches where we've matched African-American youth with with white mentors and uh, and black mentors with white kids. Uh, We've done both ways, because we just saw the need and the timing of it. And I would say that those have been some of the most impactful uh, relationships not only on the youth but on the mentor, but for, for the youth to be able to relate to people of other cultures and to trust people of other cultures—that is such an important fact. That's a skill that will enable them to thrive later on in life. So there is an advantage in that, but the mentor has to be willing to learn through the event. You can't just men- match any mentor with it in, in that situation. But the mentor will learn as much or more than the kid through the relationship. And if they're not, then the mentoring, then it's not going to work.
0: Peter, I assumed that you were just going to talk about the mentor relationship, but I love what you said about churches connecting that, that you're really, I I guess, creating a culture where churches are bought in together to build teams that are diverse. So I imagine like if you had a Hispanic church, and a predominantly white church teaming up together in their community to volunteer to run a mentoring organization—that's a beautiful kind of partnership that I, I don't think necessarily people think about when they think about mentoring addressing uh, racial reconciliation. They don't think about diverse churches partnering together, and I think that's a that's a powerful. Yeah. Um,
1: and I'm not saying any of this is easy. Uh, you know, we've we've worked with one, basically a Latino farming community in Washington State, and uh, the, the this one little town is is 98% Central or South American, um, and and it, but there's some enclaves around it, around it that are are, are mixed and. Um, it's been, it's been a difficult process uh, on some levels, but it's, it's working. I mean, they've got mentoring going and doing a good job. What it did take, and I have to say this, is a dynamic uh, Latino pastor who has won the confidence of his own people, the white churches, and a school district that is predominantly white run, even though if the students are, 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 are mixed. And that guy is, is, is changing his community. Hmm.
0: I wonder if you could share anything that you found helpful to equip mentors for those cross-cultural mentor relationships. Any resources or, or things that in that pre-service training time that you've dedicated just to this issue uh, to prepare mentors?
1: You know, there are some films to watch. Uh, I think that would help. Uh, one of the things that we use some of the scenes in our training um, is the movie Antoine Fisher, and I think that's a, a very helpful way of of, of really uh, of kind of grabbing on to some of the needs and and, and different aspects of it. He just, uh, it just it covers a lot of material. It's with Denzel Washington is in that, and it just does a good job overall. I think that there are several movies like that that you can look into that help you understand a little bit but, but nothing helps more than just building relationships um, and i know that can't be part of the training process but uh i had i have a black pastor in brooklyn who's kind of coaching me on a lot of different things as we help him develop some stuff and uh, i i'm sure i bug him but i ask him questions and he's very patient with me and as i've worked with cross culturally for years, and I've got buddies that I consider valuable in my life for Black and Latino, and and his answer to me was this. He goes, but do you go fishing with them? Like, you go, you go out to dinner with them, maybe you go, or something, but do you go fishing with them? <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you don't know, a guy, until you go fishing with them. I mean, he was speaking metaphorically there, but I mean, it's just, it really hit me. And, and that, and, and so you can't do that with a mentor, but you can help them understand what we do in our training is, understand that they come, everybody comes with a worldview. And our worldview is, is just skewed by our life experiences, by what has happened to us, by how our education, our family, our communities, and that we have to be able to see the world through a different lens or through a different, a a completely different mindset. And when you start that, and then you, you understand that you have that, that you have a different worldview and this person has a different worldview and it's not that yours is right and theirs is wrong. It's all coming from a different perspective. Then you can, and then you start listening to that person with that mindset so that you're not filtering everything through your perspective. You can develop empathy. And when you develop empathy, then trust builds. And that is the key to that cross-cultural relationship. So it's worldview, listening, and and and, and empathy. We do this all through our, our training, that we give our we, we provide people with a template for mentor training. And that's all just part of that training process.
0: I, I remember when I started mentoring a boy in our community. <laughs> I I tried to friend his mom on Facebook and she she wouldn't, she wouldn't approve my, my Facebook request. And I asked her about it, uh, probably six months into the relationship. And she, she said, Oh, you don't want to see what I post about. Um, because, because a lot of what she posts posted about, um, and still posts about are race issues and they're from her perspective. And I mean, there's a lot of pain. And I think from her perspective, she was like, if a white person sees what I'm posting, they'll be upset. It, there was just this moment where uh, my wife and I, we were just like, well, please, how about you check what we're posting and then maybe you'll feel a little more empathy or that, that we might be trustworthy to see what you're posting. But even I, I just thought that that was a very sh- a striking example of, I don't know, just the disconnect between what you're saying of bridging perspectives and, and that it does require, mental relationships require bridging those perspectives yeah. and yeah. listening. Yeah. Um, on both ends, and so I, you said Antoine Fisher is a movie that they, that the, would, should see. I would
1: start there. That's one. Let me let me then give you another one. Uh, I, the, the thing to do here is ask your your uh, your people of different color than you are what movies help, what books help. You know, I, I was on a phone call the other day with an uh, African-American woman, really sharp-running mentoring, and um, I'm, I'm coaching her through some things, and, and, and she said, you know, Langston Hughes was, is, is, is her go-to in helping her, still, you know, all these years later, is, is to help people understand her perspective on life and, and her experience.
0: You, you had kind of mentioned there are champions in the church that are motivated to make a difference and impact in their community, but um, that might not be the case for, for everyone. Like kind of how you mentioned it, uh, very crass was just, there are some people that are just butts and bucks. Um, and, and...
1: Hey, saying? I'm, a, I'm a crass New Yorker. Is that what you're saying? Look at this.
0: But the last question, what keeps Christians from mentoring? What, what's holding them back?
1: Yeah, this is this is a good question because I think it starts off and and there's some research when I when I was really starting to help churches move along I I I looked into research from the government back in the '90s. What stopped people from mentoring, which I think is part of the Christian experience too on some level? The first is fear, and this goes wherever. And and the first fear, especially, is this, this is among men. It's competence. Says, can I do this? Can I? Can, how can I? How can? How can I make this happen? Uh, am I qualified enough? A lot of people feel their past is, eliminates them. Uh, people whose past would help them in relating to kids think it's going to disqualify them, and uh, and others just fear just fear whether they can do it or not. Then it, it's some fear the that they'll be rejected by the kid. And another is that some feel that they're, they're wasting their time. What, how can like an hour or two a week, right? going to change your kid's life. You know, what is this? I'm not going to, that's not going to do anything. And so I, I think what you have to really show is that first of all, um, that it will have an impact. That their efforts will have an impact one way or another. They may not see that impact. It's important to say, I've had people call me up uh, five, 10, even 15 years after I mentored them and then uh, told me the impact they had when I thought I, I thought I didn't have any impact at all. Wow. I, I will tell you even to this point that I, last year, I had a guy that I mentored in the late seventies, early eighties, contact me to tell me, and this was the saddest part. He had just retired, <laughs> the guy I mentored is now retired. Yeah. <laughs> That was the end of it for me, Uh, sorry.
0: You know, you're over the hill when your mentee retires.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's how old I am. So it's, but I mean, that's really important. You know, you're not going to see it very much. You have to have confidence that going, going going to, to make a difference. The thing was that he was calling me and why we started was this because he has been helping and, uh, people who are, are are really struggling in life, and he valued my input because he had no idea. What to do. He said, "What did you do that, that it helped?" And so he was looking at that. And I would say it's another for people why people from mentoring. It's uh, it's unfortunately it's selfishness. We all want our own time, and uh, we see this as as taking away from our fulfillment in life rather than being part of the fulfillment of life. And to get past that is that uh, we need to really cast a vision of what mentoring is about. Having a big picture um, and seeing that or some people are just motivated by that relationship. Oh, I just want to have a relationship with the kid. I can do that. But others, we need to see the bigger picture. And we need to kind of see that this is, this is not going to just impact this kid. This is going to impact that kid's children and grandchildren, it's going to impact their, their siblings and their siblings, kids, and their mom and what comes after that. They're, those are the things we have to see with the cat. And then what it can do for our community. What, is it, what happens when one kid's life goes and, and it's turned around? Mm-hmm. Just even that we help this kid get a high school education, move on to a job, and be stable. How does that change our community? How does that change our world around us? What is it? Cast a vision out to people, and I think that the question you want to ask people is: What has God called you to do? Take away everything else. Take 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 all the other stuff away. Your life and everything. Has God called you? And when they see that it can produce something and that, um, and that you're going to also that fear factor is that you're going to support them through the relationship. You're going to have coaches. You're going to be there to help them through that. And then, uh, you know, you cast this vision of what can happen. And then you say, has God called you to do that? There's something, they have something to base them on. Before you, that, before you do those three things, they don't have anything to base it on. That as God calling me. But you put it, it's a biblical call out, whatever that is. You know, I've talked about Isaiah 58 because that is motivated me. But we all have something in there that says, "Here, this is what God says we can do." And so, let's put that together and help help people see that that this this is really changing not just the kid but our whole community by this and beyond.
0: Peter Vanacore. Thank you so much for investing in our mentors. This has been amazing. Uh, so many, so many truths, so many nuggets, um, and I, I do really believe that um, your life spent strengthening communities um, and and leaders to mentor. I mean, it's it shows in the things that you share, and I, I'm I'm sure our listeners are going to walk away wanting to challenge their pastors, wanting to challenge their themselves, um, in that question of what is God calling us to do? And I think you, you've cast a, an amazing vision. So that would address all of those things that hold us back if we just had that vision. So thank you so much, Peter. You're amazing. <laughs>
1: well, listen, I want to thank you for everything. I, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm not amazing. I am just, all I am is I have followed God's calling for my life. And that's all we're asking people to do. I don't care whether you're a uh, Pastor, or you're the plumber, or you're the stockbroker, or the policeman. It's whatever God's called you to do. Just be faithful in that. And yeah. I, and I want to appreciate all you're doing with 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 mentoring right now, Stephen. I think you're you're the uh, you're very really inspired me by by all that you have pulled together here.
0: Thank you. Well, Peter, if anyone wants to connect with you after listening to this, how could they reach out to you?
1: Uh, they can email me, Peter, at. C-A-Y-M dot O-R-G. So that's Christian Association of Youth Mentoring, C-A-Y-M dot O-R-G. Feel free to to email me and and we can uh, connect. I can provide you with any information or resources that you need, our organization, our team. If I can't do it, someone on our team can.
0: It's amazing. Well, yeah, if you're a mentoring organization leader, highly recommend you check out C-A-Y-M dot org and reach out to Peter. He has been uh, such a valuable resource. So, Um, reach out to him. Peter, thanks again.
1: Take care, Stephen. Bye-bye.